G'day everybody, Matt Ellis with you for the latest edition of the Cricket Library podcast and a very special treat for us today, the first person to go past 100 wickets in the WBBL, Molly Strano. That's in the air and that's going to be gone as well, it's 2 for 8, Strano on fire. Leading edge, there it is, she's got it once again does Molly Strano, we mentioned it pre-game. No doubt you'll find Molly's passion for the game infectious as she gives us some insights into her time playing in the Australian team and her journey to get there along the way. We'll also hear some of her aspirations and goals for the year ahead in her new home of Tasmania. It's time to sit back, relax and enjoy our chat with Molly Strano. It's a very warm welcome to the Cricket Library podcast. Molly Strano, thanks so much for joining us. Hey, Matt. Thanks for having me. Looking forward to the chat. Yeah, I've got you on a good day too. The uh, The Australian squad announced today with some good news for you. But let's go back. Let's go back to the beginning. Where Where is the passion for cricket stemming from for you, Molly Strano? Where did it all begin? Um, my story is probably a little bit different to most others. Um, there's a tendency for a lot of the girls that I play with to, you know, come from a cricket-mad family and sort of they've inherited the love for cricket. But um, both my parents aren't avid sports watchers or definitely didn't um, play or watch much cricket. So I actually was corrupted by my um, prep teacher. Um, I was a bit of an energetic preppy um, who was always active and she used to run a Milo inter-cricket clinic and she encouraged my parents to bring me down to the clinic to burn some energy on the weekend and ever since that first introduction to cricket and and playing that Milo format um, at um, introduction level, I sort of fell in love with the sport um, ever since and ever since then I haven't really looked back. I've sort of come through the pathway with the boys, boys and started um, playing some underage career for Victoria and yeah, as I said, I sort of never really looked back since that first introduction. So did you have uh, brothers and sisters at all? Yeah, I had an older brother. Um, he is into more so his cars and, and motorbikes and all that sort of jazz. But um, as I was starting to learn about cricket and I started to play and, and take a real keen interest in it, he sort of jumped on the bandwagon too. So we ended up having some really good tussles in the backyard and, and whatnot. He was a handy little bowler um, and actually a very good batter too who I struggled to get out. So he was like a duck to water with um, cricket and he ended up being really, ended up becoming a really good indoor cricketer as well. Um, but um, yeah, it was sort of a, a nice little journey for my brother and I to sort of learn about the sport at, at the same time and, and, you know, experiment in the backyard and have some really good tussles out in, in mum and dad's backyard. Yeah, that's awesome. Uh, good good to hear backyard cricket still alive and well. I know it's certainly uh, well, alive and well at my house. My My kids love playing a bit of cricket in the front yard. Now, um, what about... Uh, organised team cricket. Um, you, you mentioned there just before playing with the boys. Did you did you kind of come through a local cricket club and play? You know, in the under twelves and uh, play with play with boys teams against boys, or were there many other girls playing cricket when you were coming through? Um, yeah. So once I finished playing Milo cricket, I sort of graduated at the tender age of about. <laughs> what is it, eight or nine, and I went straight into um, junior boys cricket and I went down to Werribee Central's Cricket Club where I progressed through under 11s, 13s, 16s and 17s and played 
all through that um, that age range with the boys. Um, back when I was a bit of a youngster, there wasn't um, there weren't many girls playing, um, and there weren't all girls comp like they are now, which is really cool for the for young girls growing up now that they can play against other females and and play in junior girls leagues and comps. But um, back in the day when I was a little bit younger, there was no such thing. So I played with the boys, which was amazing for my development. Um, if anything, it probably fast tracked my development a little bit. Um, and I'm still really good mates with a lot of the boys that I played with um, back in my teenage years. So I remember and look back at that experience really fondly. And the boys were awesome with me. They were, they were super accepting and they made me feel like a part of the family. So I had some really great experiences playing with the junior boys back in, the, back in my teenage years. Yeah, and, and you have some time uh, in the in the female rep pathway as well. You, you mentioned and um, shooting stars as well. When when did you uh, kind of work out you were going to be pretty good at cricket? And uh, when did when did you start putting more time and energy into it uh, yourself? Um, that's a really good question. I was never a supremely talented junior. Um, I had to always work pretty hard at my craft and I came through the pathway as a batter actually and I was really a, a late bloomer to the bowling um, part of the game which is now my forte and my my main skill set as an, as, as an off-spin bowler but I didn't start bowling off-spin until I was about 18 or 19 so I was I was rookie contracted um, by Victoria as a 16 year old as an opening batter the runs dried up as soon as I got that contract subsequently <laughs> <laughs> um, and then one of my coaches said why don't you start taking your off-spin bowling a little bit more seriously because it's an avenue for you to break into the team, probably more so as a spinner rather than a batter. Um, so I was a bit of a late bloomer. Um, made my um, debut for Victoria when I was 19 and a half, probably close to 20. So I was in the system for a long time before I actually got to um, receive my baggy boy cap. But um, yeah, my journey and my pathway has probably been a bit different to most. I wasn't, um, you know, a a super talented youngster I ended up changing skill sets at the age of about 19 and yeah ever since then I haven't really looked back again like I've, I've really loved learning the craft of off-spin bowling and and I've loved playing for both Victoria and the Renegades in, in yesteryears and hopefully I'll have some fond memories um upcoming this season in in the Hurricane Stables and um and for Tasmania as well. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Let's let's take you back to some of that early success at Victoria. One of one of the big moments, I guess, for Victorian women's cricket, uh, winning the T Twenty final back in two thousand and twelve. You you're in the early stages of your career. Can you, can you take it take us back and and reflect on what it meant to you as a young person? You you're playing with the likes of Meg Lanning. Uh, Jess Duffin, Elise Villani, Danny White, I think played in that game as well. Uh, and you're a part of it all. Beamsy as well, uh, one of one of your coaches down there de- down there at Tassie now as well. Uh, and to win a title as a as a young woman, what what did that mean to you? Oh, that was an incre- incredible experience and and a day that I remember back on really fondly. Um, we were a very young Victorian team. Meg Meg and I would have only been just eighteen. Um, Elise was young to her early 20s and Danny Wyatt was probably only 18 as well. So we played against a really strong New South Wales team and we probably punched above our weight because I don't think we were anywhere close to favourites favorite to win that game. But we just put, it, put together a really good team performance and it was my first case of success in a, in a senior women's program. And I just remember that sense of euphoria when we won it. Like there's no better feeling in cricket than finishing the end of the season all culminating in a title and I remember just 
we celebrated like we won a World Cup and we partied <laughs> for days. Um, but yeah, it was a really special memory, and I, and I look back on that um, also incredibly fondly. And that's the first and, and the last time I've tasted um, success at the senior level. So um, yeah, as I said, I was a real, um, real fresh. I'd only had a few games under my belt, and I didn't bat and I didn't bowl in that game. Uh, I remember taking a catch out on the boundary, and that was about it for my contribution for the day. But it was just a really special moment, and yeah, we're all very proud Victorians that afternoon. And, and yeah, as I said, we celebrated for a few days, so it was, it was great fun. Yeah, absolutely outstanding. And uh, a few years after, you get the chance to to move into WBBL cricket, the WBBL um, coming after the domestic T20 state-based competition. Uh, I think you had a few injuries uh, or, or an injury around the start of the 2015-16 season and then you, you, you come in at the Renegades there. What did it what what was the buzz around the start of WBBL for you? What were your expectations? Um, well, leading into the WBBL, I was incredibly nervous that I might not make it back in time. Um, I was recovering from a stress fracture in my back. Um, I'd spent a, the winter um, leading into that big bash in, in the UK and probably two seasons back-to-back bowling and my bowling legs going through the roof. Um, I sort of broke down over there. So I came back to... Um, back to Melbourne and, and really put my head down and try to get my rehab right just to ensure that I could make it back for the Big Bash. And there was a few hiccups in the in the process and I didn't think that I was going to play many games in that Big Bash year, but I managed to sneak in and, and um, play that first game. I remember we played down in Launceston for our um, for our very first hit out. And yeah, it was a, we didn't have too much success on the field. I remember we won the wooden spoon, which is a um, piece of history that we're not too proud of um, in that first year. We had four wins out of 14 games so the wins were still far between but it was just an, an incredible feeling to be a part of a, a competition that sort of just straight away um, captured the public's attention and there was media coverage and we had televised games which we hadn't really experienced before so it was all a whirlwind but we all sent not only renegade plays but everyone across the competition that it was a this was going to be something special and a real um, important vehicle for women's cricket. And since then, the WBBL has just gone from strength to strength. And now it's like the shop, the shop front window for women's domestic cricket in the country. And it's, yeah, an awesome product. And Cricket Australia and, and the ATA have done an incredible job in ensuring that, you know, each year the competition just goes from strength to strength. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, let, let's go back. Um, you only me- mentioned that you only had a few wins that season. Let's go back to one of the, the happier days for you in that first WBBL. MCG, got a feeling it might have been a double header, but one of those Stars Renegades uh, games at the MCG, lots of people coming in. You take five for 15, um, and then the former opening batter, sitting with the pads on next in and you didn't get to go out and bat because the Renegades got the job done with the ball to spare. Uh, reflections on what it meant to win a derby and and have such a crucial role in that game? Um, yeah, if I remember correctly, it might have been the first ever derby. So there was a huge amount of nerves floating around because you're coming up against some of your Victorian teammates and Cricket Victoria and the the competition as a whole are trying to pump up this rivalry, which hasn't you know come to fruition yet because we haven't played against each other and you know we're playing on the big stage at the MCG. I hadn't played many games there before and it's it's a daunting stadium to play at, you know, because 
just the sheer size of the stadium. But I remember going into that game being incredibly nervous um, and just hoping that, you know, we did well because I, know, I knew it was a televised game too. So I was just hoping it would, <laughs> it would be a good contest between the two Melbourne teams and um, people would enjoy watching it. But um, yeah, it was a, a bit of a whirlwind day. I just remember that we were super pumped to, to get the win. Again, I think we punched above our weight that day. We weren't, again, um, we weren't ha- um, dubbed to win um, and we'll far from favourites again, but we um, did really well and competed really hard. And, and I was just really proud of the girls. We're a really, really young group and to taste a little bit of success on, on the big stage was really a pivotal moment for our group um, moving forward. Yeah, you just mentioned nerves around uh, that particular game. What what are some strategies that work for Molly Strano when it comes to dealing with nerves? I don't get anywhere near as nervous nowadays. Um, I tell you what helps: um, getting a little bit older and uglier. Um, <laughs> after you, <laughs> a few more games under your belt and a little bit more experience playing different conditions and um, different competitions and and, and across different levels, you just start to become somewhat accustomed to the nerves that, that come with playing first-class cricket. But, yeah, it's something I really struggled with as a, as a youngster. Um, shocking sleeper the night before a game. I'll play out the game in my head. I'll get incredibly nervous driving in. But, um, yeah, with a said age and experience and a few extra games under my belt now, I'm, I'm, managing, I'm, I'm able to manage those nerves a little bit better now. Oh, very good to hear. Very good to hear. And um, with the... With the rise of the WBBL and the impact it's having on uh, young females playing the game, and we're seeing a, a, an increase in participation in, in young girls playing the game, uh, how do you view your responsibility as one of these players in terms of uh, the standard that you set on and off the field? Yeah, it's, it's been an interesting one with the, the quick rise of the competition, but we all have a, a duty nowadays as players to, to be positive role models and influences for the, for the young girls that are watching and, and for the young girls that, that come to the game. And I think all of the girls do it incredibly well. Um, after each game, everyone will hang around and sign autographs, pre-COVID times that was, um, and, and take time to chat to the young girls that come out to the game. Um, and yeah, as I said, it's, it's almost our duty now is, as the, as the sport becomes a little bit more visible on national TV and, or, and on KO and all those sort of other platforms, it is that, you know, we give it a red-hot go and, and we compete hard on and off and but play in the right spirit as well. So the young, impressionable girls that are watching can be inspired and, and hopefully we can inspire them to, to, um, to pick cricket as their sport of, sport of choice. Yeah, absolutely. And, and a team that's doing that really well is the, uh, the Australian team at the moment. And you get the call-up in 2017 can you reflect on how you found out you were going to be making your debut for Australia um yeah that was another sort of whirlwind um experience getting that phone call your first ever phone call to say that you're linking up with the Australian team um and it was almost like a fairy tale to be honest because um not only did I get called up to say that I was in the squad I, I managed to make my debut um, at the MCG, which was my home ground in my hometown. So I was super lucky and friends to be able to be there present for my, my cap presentation. And it meant um, especially a huge amount to me to, to have my nan there. And she's quite frail and old. And um, if I had to play or made my debut anywhere else in the country, she probably wouldn't have been able to attend. So to have my nan there to witness me um, receive my first Aussie cap, um, meant a hell of a lot to me because she played a huge role in 
in my development as a young cricketer, driving me around all over Victoria to trainings and games and all that sort of stuff. And she's been such an influential person in, in my cricketing development. So to have her at my cap presentation was something really special. And the day that you make your, your debut for Australia, you feel like your feet don't touch the ground all day. You're just floating on this cloud of adrenaline and excitement. And I remember we had a good win against New Zealand. So, um, yeah, it was a really special day. And I remember the girls looked at me a little bit weirdly because after we um, won that first game, we had team drinks to celebrate our first win. And I wore my um, <laughs> my playing cap that I wore that day to the team drinks. And the girls were like, is this still okay? Like, you don't have to wear team par- <laughs> You don't have to wear team paraphernalia to team drinks, but I was, I was just so shocked to be able to, you know, live out my childhood dream and, and make my debut for Australia that I couldn't take my playing cap off for the whole 24 hours after my debut. So <laughs> I'll remember back. I remember that day really fondly. And, um, yeah, still, um, a real special moment to be able to share that with my friends and family as well. Oh, that's outstanding. And a couple of other debutantes in that game as well. Amanda Jade Wellington, Ash Gardner also making their debut there. What what was it like having a couple of other debutantes along for the ride? Yeah, it was really cool because a lot of the time when people make their debut, there's normally only one sort of debutante normally. Um, so to have the three of us debuting on the same day, it was almost a bit of comfort in knowing that there was two other people that were experiencing the same emotions as you were on that on that specific day. So we'll forever have that special little bonding connection us three knowing that we all made our key 20 debut on the same day. And it was really nice um, because we had a few different people make cap presentations and, and say some lovely words as well. So we'll all remember that day really fondly. And then success. Uh, well, you got a wicket in your first game. I shouldn't say success didn't come till the second game, but five for 10 uh, in, in your second game for Australia uh, against New Zealand. Uh, what What did it mean to... Now you're in the team. Now you execute and you and you do a, a real a really important job for your team. Five for ten. Um, that day was a, a bit of some mixed emotions because I remember we bowled first and I was lucky enough to take a few wickets. And um, at the time, you're you're excited that you're able to contribute and help help Australia, you know, bowl at the opposition. But then we ended up losing the game and we we ended up getting skewed by New Zealand for. I think we ended up falling, you know, five or ten runs short. So the, we played in Geelong, and I remember the bus drive back to Melbourne was a pretty quiet one because everyone was pretty devastated that we lost a game that we should have won. But um, from a personal perspective, I it was a bit of a whirlwind day. Like, it's just one of those days where everything seems to go your way, the little half chances go to hand. And I remember there was this breeze that was blowing across um, the, the oval, which was helping me really drift the ball away from the outside edge. Um, so it was just one of those days where everything sort of fell into place and it was like the perfect storm in regards to me executing my skills. Um, and, yeah, it gave me a little bit of confidence that you always have a bit of nervous energy going into an international fixture. I mean, for your second time, just wondering if you're good enough to play at that level or to jump from domestic cricket too big and you sort of second-guess yourself whether you should be there or not. But I think it was a little moment where I was like, oh, maybe I can hold my own at this level. So... Yeah, as I said, it was a bit of a funny old day because at the innings break, I was pretty happy and hoping that we were marching towards another Australian win. But then 75 minutes later, we're all pretty devastated in the room because we ended up losing a match we should have won. So, yeah, it was a bit of a, a mixed bag of lollies that day. Yeah, the, se- the second best ever figures in women's T20 internationals in a losing side. So probably not this kind of stat you want to have, but uh, <laughs> all the same, uh, good to see you get some success there. And uh, well, speaking about, the WBBL, you've had a, a big impact in the WBBL. The, 
uh, the, the first ever player to get 100 wickets in that competition. Um, and T20 cricket has been where, where you've achieved your success. Getting, getting called in as a late call-up into the T20 World Cup, a home World Cup campaign, uh, can you reflect on that World Cup and uh, just the extra momentum that that's brought to, to cricket in Australia? Yeah, that was, um, geez, it, it was, again, I've said the word whirlwind a couple of times, but that was definitely a whirlwind experience. Um, I initially didn't get selected, so I thought I was just playing club cricket <laughs> towards the back end of the year. All state cricket had finished for the year and all domestic cricket had, had was well and truly done. So I was back at um, Essendon Maribyrnong Park um, rolling out my um, straight breaks, which don't spin. And I remember I got the call up from... Um, Flegs, uh, uh, who's a selector, and he said, "Can you join up with the team?" And that was on a on a Wednesday night, and the first Australian fixture was going to be played on the Friday night. So I had to quickly ring my club team and said, "Hey, I'm not available for club cricket on Saturday night. I've been parachuted into the Australian team." So everything happened really quickly. I remember getting on a flight to Sydney on the Thursday, and then I managed to play on the Friday so um, my lead-in was short and sharp um, I had one training one training session with the girls before um, I managed to have the new ball in my hand for the for the first game of the World Cup but yeah that was such a huge occasion for the, the Australian women's cricket team there was a lot of outside noise and a lot of pressure for us to feature in the final first um, firstly because they wanted to beat the the record for attendance at the MCG and mm. They, Cricket Australia said that outwardly pretty early doors, um, but there's still a lot of water to go under the bridge for the Australian team to actually feature in that final as well. You have to get through your round matches and win a semi-final to get there, but it was almost like we have to be there to hopefully ensure that we could reach that lofty target that Australia, the Cricket Australia put out there. So there was a lot of outside noise and a lot of pressure for us to succeed and do really well in home conditions. And yeah, it all culminated that night at the MCG where 86,000 people were in the house and we put our best performance up on the on the most important stage. Um, we sort of started slowly and limped through the, the the group stages. Had a pretty good semi final against South Africa, but we put our best performance out there on on the most important night on on the World Cup final night. And yeah, it was just such an awesome celebration of not only women's cricket but women's sport in Australia and 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 globally as well. Um, it really put um, women's cricket on the map. Yeah, and, and and a few nerves around the weather there too in Sydney um, to get to that final as well. So uh, just probably relief after that, and then you're right, a very complete performance uh, when it mattered the most. Now, uh, years ago, I remember seeing uh, a YouTube video of Molly Strano preparing for a WNCL game uh, it was put out by Victorian Cricket, uh, the Vic Spirit at the time, and and you were doing some interpretive dance as your <laughs> a, as your sort of pre-game routine. You're probably only twenty or twenty-one at the time, and um, yeah, and, and there were some pretty impressive moves there. Um, did you did you feel that was the perfect preparation for being on stage with Katy Perry? Just was that kind of what was going through your mind? One day I, I really need to showcase this on the big stage. I know exactly what video you're referring to and I'm dying with embarrassment because I would have been 19 or 20 and I'm just a, not, I, to be honest, I'm 20, 
28 now and not much has changed. I'm still a rat bag, but I was more so a rat bag back then. <laughs> and I just wish there's someone that you could ring up at YouTube to say, hey, can you please delete that video? Because it's, <laughs> in- <laughs> it's, it's, it's incredibly embarrassing. But, hey, you might be right. I've been, I've been training for that moment that we had with Katy Perry for a good 10 years with all my interpretive dance warm-ups. So some would say I was born for that moment. Um, to be on stage with Katy Perry because I'd been, as, I, as you saw on um, Vic Spirit back in the day YouTube, that um, some of my questionable dance moves have been um, publicised on YouTube, which is embarrassing enough for it, for anyone. <laughs> and, and even even your, pre, uh, your pre-dance talk around needing to use the lift and not the stairs uh, just to give your legs a bit of extra uh, prep time. I, I, I thought that was some, some, some uh, YouTube gold there. But let's let's... Uh, go back to the MCG on stage as a team, just uh, from the outside looking in, sh- sheer euphoria. Absolutely. Um, it's, not every, it's not every day that you get to um, dance on stage with an international pop star. Um, so it was just an out-of-body experience. And I remember, like, it, it was touch and go whether, we'll be able to, whether we were going to get on stage with her. There was a whole lot of, like, security protocols that, were proving to be maybe too difficult and that we might not be able to get on stage. And then we ended up, I don't know who did the heavy lifting in the background, probably Meg Lanning um, as the <laughs> captain, yeah. um, just leading the ship. Um, we managed to sneak up on stage for one song and, yeah, we, it was just unbelievable. I remember looking out and seeing all the all those people watching you with their phone torches on, shining them. And, yeah, we just took the opportunity to really let loose for a full four minutes as the song went on and again speaking of questionable dance moves when I re-watched that footage I, was, I just thought what was I thinking that is dancing like my mum um, <laughs> which is embarrassing enough um, and after a few beers under our belt at that point there was some other people that also had some very questionable moves but despite the, the poor dancing we had the time of our lives there was just a moment where we got off stage and we all just looked at each other and we were just like did that actually just happen did we just dance on stage with Katy Perry um, so yeah, that was a, a phenomenal night, um, especially after the way we played and, and how dominant the girls were that day. And then that moment with Katy Perry, and then we went down to the change rooms where all our friends and family were, and we just had this massive party in the, in the change rooms at the MCG. And then we had this other real special moment once the change rooms cleared out and all our friends and family left where we went out to the, to the wicket and had a few beers out on the pitch at about 2am and everyone just went around and we had some reflections and then the speaker was on again and then I cut some more questionable <laughs> dance moves at 2am on, on a good length of the MCG uh, wicket, which the curator's probably furious about because I was doing it in high heels at the same time. But, um, yeah, it was just one of those magic days where I'll never forget that day till the day I die and it was just some of the best days of our lives and I hope and I really do hope that we have reunions for that um, World Cup win every five to ten years just to make sure we get together and relive those memories because it was one special day that all of all of the girls involved and all of the staff as well will never forget. Is it true that Rachel Haynes missed out on getting on stage? That is true. Um, oh, poor Rachel. We're, we're big fans of Rachel on this podcast. And, yeah, because she takes me as someone who, who possibly would have enjoyed that experience. <laughs> I tell you who are the biggest party poopers, the drug testers. So poor Rach gets, gets called up to have to provide a sample for drug testing and she wasn't able to provide the sample quick enough to be able to get on stage. So 
the drug testers don't let you leave their site until you provide a sample. So poor Rach is getting held back in the change rooms oh. by a drug tester and a lab coat. So um, you couldn't strip that poor old Rach. You missed the trick there and missed the opportunity to come and have a have a boogie with us and have a boogie with Katy Perry. So. Poor Rates got the the raw end of the deal that night. Oh dear! Now, now you mentioned some dance moves in some some um, heeled shoes. Um, tell tell us more about these shoes. Um, <laughs> where did they come from? Uh, you, you're still wearing them the next day at at all the presses and things like that. Getting a fair bit of airtime. The the white shoes. Tell us about it. Yeah, I'm not an attention seeker at all, am I? Look, there's been multiple versions of this story that have been told and who knows what the actual truth is anymore. I've told so many different versions of this story that I can't even remember what the actual true story was. But um, having some insider knowledge of the MCG in a sanctum, I sort of knew where the green room was. So after the performances and whatnot, I thought I took my brother with me, my partner in crime, and we went up to the... Um, the green room and were rummaging through some of the outfits and costumes that were left behind and I saw some of the white boots that Katy Perry may have worn at some point during the night and one of the ladies down there was said if you want them you can take them because um, those shoes are just going to stay in Melbourne and we'll probably just give them away or whatever so if you want a pair you can take them so um, of course I politely accepted the gift um, <laughs> so I had these um, very tight leather pointed high heel boots which I managed to squeeze my feet in they'll um one size too small and at the time when you're full of adrenaline and um whatnot um I didn't feel that they were too small and there was not so much pain but yeah um the next day I woke up with pulsating toes because I felt like I might have may have actually potentially broken a few to squeeze into those boots but as they say fashion hurt so I managed to put the pain aside to um, managed to soldier on and I ended up wearing the shoes for the next two days actually so yeah that's the backstory behind the the white heel oh, there you go there you go uh amazing amazing memories that you've got there and uh looking forward now you, you've moved down to Tasmania um f- a, a new start down there uh, what are you? What are your hopes for the season ahead down in Tassie and, and how has the move been so far Oh, the move played out incredibly. Um, I knew that being a Melbourne girl ever since day dot that the move was going to provide uh, provide uh, be difficult at some point. Um, moving away from your, your comfort bubble and, and your comfort people and your family, but it was also a challenge that I was really um, excited to take to sort of move out. As I've mentioned, move out of my my comfort zone and and take up this new challenge down here in, in Tasmania. And the preseason's been awesome so far. It's been nice to be in a new program and to be challenged both on and off the field. Um, and, yeah, it's, it's, I'm really happy with my decision and, and thus far it's, it's proven to be um, extremely enjoyable and I'm very much enjoying the challenge that is of being in a new environment and and playing amongst a whole new batch of new players. And what are, you, what are the hopes uh, for you for the season? Uh, just announced today uh, you're in that squad for the India series. Um but playing for Tasmania and, and the Hurricanes as well, what, what are you hoping to achieve with your cricket this summer? Oh, I'd love to win some silverware, to be honest. Um, I think both the, the Hurricanes team and the Tasmanian team are, are shaping up really nicely. Um, the Tasmanian girls just missed out on the final last year and 
and we're pretty close to contesting for some some silverware. So hopefully we can, uh, you know, force our way into that final this year, and, and hopefully we can bring bring back the gong across the Bass Strait and and um, bring home a WNCL title. And 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 also um, quietly confident too that the the Hurricanes team is shaping up really nicely, and hopefully we can you know find our find our way into the finals and finish in the top four and also contest for some silverware there too because there's no there's no better feeling than you know training really hard together over the winter and that culminating in a in a premiership or a title so that's my um lofty aspirations down here that hopefully I can not only play well but can contribute to some some team success and how's the training environment been uh Tasmania not as heavily affected by COVID-19 at this point yeah, we're incredibly lucky, um, especially after hearing stories from other girls in other states. But our preseason's pretty much been not affected at all. We're still able to train in in big group settings and and train and train as a team. And and yeah, as I said, lucky enough and and touch wood um, that yeah. things continue to to track on in the same way down here. But we haven't really been affected by COVID, and we're training out. Um, we're training in the market at the moment on turf wickets and. And, and as I said, it's such a blessing to be able to train in a big group um, environment as well and not be restricted in that regard from a COVID perspective. So, yeah, we've um, we've had a really big um, pre-season. Everyone's trained really hard. And, and as they always say, all the cliches, everyone's had a big pre-season and everyone's um, tra- <laughs> tracking along really nicely. But um, it's that's a true sentiment down here. We've, we've been working really hard under um, Sam Marsh's leadership. He's sort of at the at the helm at the moment as head coach while Sal's over at the 100. So, yeah, everyone's sticking along really nicely and everyone's getting really excited for the summer of cricket. Yeah, and a few players over there playing in the 100 as well. Um, great opportunity for them to experience the new format of the game. Yeah, it's an incredible um, opportunity for us. We've, we've had three people from our team that are involved. We've had Sal, who's over there, as a, oh, four actually, I should say. Um, Sal is coach, Rachel Priest, Heather Graham as players and Tim as our analyst has gone over there as well. So... It's an awesome opportunity for those those people to to get over there and and experience that comp- the inaugural year of that competition and all the reports back from from them guys is that it's been absolutely awesome and they've absolutely enjoyed every minute of it. So yeah, we're we're a little bit sad that the Trent Rockets, the team that all of those people are involved in, didn't make the final the final. Um, I think it was the top three. They didn't manage to sneak in. Um, but um, yeah, all of us girls watch those games really closely and we're, and we're cheering um, down here in Tasmania for the Trent Rockets pretty hardly. But um, yeah, as I said, unfortunately, they didn't make the finals, but it's been a great spectacle to watch. Yeah, absolutely. It's been fantastic. Uh, seeing the quality of cricket around the world is very high standard at the moment and and, and only getting better. Now, uh, to, to wrap it up, uh, this is our hardest hitting question. I, I saved the hardest hitting till the end. Um if you're having Ooh, a, this makes me nervous. <laughs> if, if, if you're going to have a net session, um, and you could invite three people at at the prime of their uh, life to come, um, that, so they could be people living uh, no longer with us. Uh, they could be rock stars. They could be cricketers. <laughs> uh, you, you get to decide. Um, mm. who, who who would you bring down to the nets? Oh, this is. This is a really tough question. Three people I'd like to invite to the net. Um, well, based on my personality type, when I go to the net, I'd like to have fun. So this is going to really influence my decision. Mm-hmm. Number one, the first invitee, I would go, any Kath and Kim fans in the house would know Sharon Streslecki. <laughs> um, 
she she marries Shane Warne in one of the episodes, and she's a cricket lover, um, leg spin bowler. I would love to invite Sharon down to the next net. I think she would be very fun. Oh, um, yes. And I do, do love Mag- Magda's events here as well. So um, <laughs> her, her as Sharon or as herself, I would like to invite um, invite her down. Yeah. Um, number two, last winter in COVID, I watched The Last Dance, which I feel like everyone in Australia and worldwide did watch The Last Dance. Yeah. Um, I would like to invite Dennis Rodman to my oh, next session. Oh, Yes. He seems like a very colourful character, interesting character as well. Um, and he's someone I would love to chat to about some of his experiences in first class or at elite level sport. Um, and he just seems like a bit of a rat bag. And as I mentioned earlier, I'm a bit of a rat bag. So I feel like Dennis Rodman and I would um, get along. So I'm mm. inviting as my second attendee, Dennis Rodman. He wouldn't even know what a net session is. He probably doesn't know what cricket is. But well, he as did. an athlete... He did have a foray in professional wrestling there for a little while. He he did a couple of couple of cameos in in world championship wrestling. So surely he could cross over to cricket. Yeah, some of the skills are transferable. So I think he would be all right. He could handle himself okay in the net session. And some of his hairstyles um, a bit similar to Colin Miller, maybe. It does have a bit of funky Miller about him. Some with some of those hairstyles during the last dance. Um, wasn't afraid of the old hair dye and some peroxide in the week. So, <laughs> um, yeah, very, he seemed like a very interesting character that I would love to meet. So he's coming to the net session. Um, and last attendee, um, now that I'm a full-blown Taswegian that I play for the Hobart Hurricanes and the Tasmanian Tigers, I thought I'd go down sort of a Tasmanian sort of theme invitee. Yeah. And I'm going to go after her performances in the most recent Olympics, I'm going to go with Ariana Chipmas as my third invitee. That's outstanding. Um, I just think she was awesome at the Olympics and I, and I loved her story. But is there any loophole that I can also bring Dean Boxall as well, her coach? Um, oh, I, <laughs> <laughs> after, uh, after some of his um, speaking of rare dancing as we did before and speaking of some um, questionable dance moves and um, celebrations Dean Boxall was um, another one of the highlights of, of the Olympic Games and he didn't even partake but those scenes after he was celebrating after Ariana won I think it was her first gold were, um, were incredible so I don't know if there's any loophole that I can invite three and one coach or oh. if I can just invite four people, it's up to you. But I wouldn't mind inviting Dean and Ariana together if that's okay. I, I reckon. I reckon we get Dean a special cricket library accreditation, and and we get him <laughs> in. On, on the proviso, on the proviso that when uh, even when Tasmania lift the WNCL trophy or the Hurricanes lift the WBBL trophy, that he is down on the boundary fence celebrating <laughs> accordingly. I, I, think that, I would love that. That's my little asterisk. If, if he's going to come, he's got to contribute. That could almost be the motto, really. If, if you win it, party and dance like Dean Boxer. <laughs> <laughs> can, 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 can we get a little, uh, can we get a little um, cricket library exclusive here? If, if we see Molly Strano um, on, on, on the player race, uh, cutting some of those Dean Boxall moves that we heard it here first. Um, I could even 
he, he also heard it, heard it here first. If we win a title, I'm happy to get a tattoo that says "Party Like Boxall." <laughs> <laughs> that is some major breaking news. Uh, well, it, this has been a lot of fun, Molly. I, I really appreciate you taking some time to talk to us on the Cricket Library podcast. Uh, we wish you all the best for the summer ahead down in Tassie and, and of course, for Australia as well. Uh, ho- I hope to see you get many more opportunities to wear that cap um, for, for as long after the game as you deem necessary. Uh, and, um, yeah, wish you all the best going forward. Thanks so much for joining us. No worries. Thanks for the chat. It's been super enjoyable, so thanks for that. A massive thanks to Molly Strano for joining us on this edition of the Cricket Library podcast. Wonderful to hear her story and some of her reflections on her career to this point and wishing her all the best for the summer ahead. Not too far away, that series against India for the Australian team and, of course, the domestic summer playing for Tasmania for the first time. Uh, A great opportunity for Molly in the season ahead. A massive thanks to you, our listeners, our loyal listeners. Thanks so much for tuning in once again. Don't forget, keep your eye out for the new Ashes book. Martin Lenahan, author, came on and, and we had a great conversation about the Ashes and, and his new book. Make sure you check that one out at the Cricket Australia online store. That's probably the easiest place to get it in the current environment. And some huge breaking news Next time on the podcast, we have secured a chat. In fact, I've already had it, had it earlier today with Greg Chappell. This is one you do not want to miss. We fit it in as much as we could. We we had nearly an hour with Greg and he shares some wonderful insights into his playing career and tells us a bit about the Chapel Foundation as well. You'll hear all about it. It's it's about two weeks away from dropping on your podcast feeds. Uh, and in the meantime, between now and then, uh, make sure you spread the word with your family, your friends, your neighbours, uh, anyone who you think would enjoy hearing some stories that inspire a love of cricket. And we will be back to do it all again with Greg Chapel in a couple of weeks' time. And then Robbie McKinley joins me once again this summer for the Cricket Library Weekly. Thank you so much for tuning in. This has been Matt Ellis for the Cricket Library Podcast. Bye for now.